welcome to the Red Raven Games Podcast. I'm Ryan Lockett. I'm Brenna Asplund. I'm Mallory Lockett. And I'm Craig Knight, and I, I made it back, but not for episode, like, what, 33 or something like that? No, it was episode 34, because this is episode 35! Yeah! <laughs> That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes. Congratulations. Yeah. Everybody give yourself a pat on the back. I'm going to try to get close to the mic. I can do the actual, like, patting. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pick up. <laughs> yes. Okay. So today's theme on the podcast, because Mallory was like, you know, we're kind of disorganized. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have been listening to a lot of podcasts lately. Well, I always do. I always listen to like NPR podcasts and like psychology podcasts, but now I've been listening to a lot of board game industry podcasts and I'm thinking, oh, they've got themes and they've got stuff they do every single time. And I'm like, we do that, but it depends. we don't always do that. We have trends. Like, yeah. Right. So I'm like, maybe we should have. We sometimes do those things. <laughs> I like that it's motto. good tagline. It's a good one. Yeah. But we do have a theme today. It's conventions. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Oh, that's a good theme. Yeah, because. Uh, we've been going to coming... a lot of conventions. Yep, and we have plenty more before the end of the year, but actually we don't go to very many compared to a lot of other people that I talk to. That's true. So. I just feel like I spent most of March at conventions, even though yeah. it was only yeah. two of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people I talk to, they're going to like three a month. Minimum, wow. You know, that's four crazy. a month. It's like, yeah. So um, anyway, I thought we would approach conventions because... Um, our next big one, of course, is Origins, which is a few months away. But, uh, you know, there are, we've got a few other ones before then. Uh, and then, of course, after that is Gen Con. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> let's, talk about, uh, let, let's talk about going to conventions as maybe like a game designer or a game developer. Um, so we had, a, we had a couple questions here that we're just going to, everybody can sort of ch- chime in if they want to. So the first one is, what type of games are best at conventions? Is, is there a type of game that's better or worse? Or what do you think? Uh, I think it depends a little bit on what you mean by best for conventions. Like, are you saying best to sell at conventions or best to well, play at well, conventions? Like best, best to play at a convention. I feel like in general, this is just me personally, but I feel like shorter more sort of simpler games are better to play at conventions because it's easier to pick up with people who haven't played it before. And so it's at least, you know, as a as a company trying to demo games to people, it's easier to draw people in and get them to play a game if it's easy to pick up and it's easy to play and it's quick to play. You can get more people through it, you know? Right. And what's interesting is some people, when they go to a convention, they're like, Yes, now I can play the monster game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I they, can force five people to the table with me, and then they'll four stay days there straight. for more. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll see people set up these like massive war games that take like thirty hours to play, and they won't leave the table until it's done. Now that that touches on the other thing about games at conventions, I think people just need a really good reason. So short is a really good reason that game that you've heard about and never been able to get to the table in your game group also a really good reason yeah flashy art flashy thing like they just they want something exciting they want something like oh i'll never get to try this ever again like this is my special convention experience or (laughs) they want something that's new that they can say oh i found it at the convention right so they just they need frosting on the cake like the cake is board games in general everybody that goes to these conventions will basically play anything you put in front of them unless it's their least favorite type of game what if it's pie (laughs) hey the last convention we were at was actually on pie day right because gamma was during wasn't it pie day oh yeah you're right so um let me let me ask this. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Well, I you was going to say I was something. just going to say that I think I think Mallory touched on something really important there, uh, which sort of made me think about this question in a bit of a different way. 
which is I think what people are looking for at conventions is experiences. So even if it's not like if it's a short and quick new game, that's an experience. If it's a big, long game they never get to play, that's an experience. Like it's a big deal, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I remember what I was going to say. Um, I I will say that some of our story games are not, uh, a convention is not the best place to play them, yeah. <laughs> sadly, because of all the noise, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to read out of that book and it's like, Oh, I can't quite hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's hard I was, to get immersed in that setting, I think. I was running demos of Near and Far at South by Southwest, and like my throat was hurting so bad by the end of that weekend because <laughs> I was just shouting all those stories at people yeah. over the noise of the crowd, you know? It's so funny, if you're yeah. a game master, do not sign up to demo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more than one storytelling game a day at a convention. Yeah, I know. Because like, like RPGs are really popular at conventions, and I'm always thinking, how are they? I guess they go to quiet rooms. Mm. Is that yeah, true? Like I don't they, know. I, I imagine those... they probably go to like one of those uh, rooms where we went for Gen Con that one year I went, and they just play those little games in like little hotel rooms. Or they could sit down all with their phones and get a Skype call running and plug in their (laughs) headphones and just talk to each other in that, hey, we should try that at our booth. We'll do it. We'll do completely silent. Gotta get noise-canceling headphones for that. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool. (laughs) You know what, though? I do remember like the first year that we had the pre-production copy of Above and Below at Gen Con. It was really successful in demos in the booth. Like the hum of the um, exhibit hall is a different kind of hum than the game hall, I feel like. The game hall has less carpet in it. It's got, well, it doesn't have higher ceilings, but less stuff hanging from the ceilings. And it's just louder and more white noisy. But you can find find fun times for storytelling games too. So let me ask... Oh, go ahead, Brenna. I was just say it was interesting because at South by Southwest, there was actually people at a table right next to me running a Pathfinder campaign that seemed, I'm like, while I was, you know, losing my voice from reading all these stories out of the book, just playing near and far, I'm like, how is the DM doing that? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Experienced. So, if you're a game designer, should you take your prototype to a convention? Like, how important is that? Ooh, I think well, it's I think it's important because there's a ton of people there, and you can get a lot of a lot of plays in, which you need as a designer, obviously. And Ryan and I were talking about it, how you can get to the point where you play with the same people over and over, so you're getting a lot of plays in, but you're not getting a lot of different strategies or perspectives, and even just the same type of people that we play with here in our area of the country you know it's good to get out of your comfort zone and just throw it into an unpredictable pot of gamers and see what they think yeah yeah i agree it can kind of be nerve-wracking um as a designer like you take your prototype and like you you're playing with random people you don't know and it's like Oh, they're going to hate it you know <laughs> i think it just depends on what phase the game's at so if it's at like a in like a beta phase where you feel pretty comfortable, then it's pretty good to have it uh, at a convention. But if it's in like pre-alpha where you're still trying to figure out the rules and like it, you don't have it down, it might be a little jarring to explain to everybody. It's like, oh, well, this rule are thinking about changing it. <laughs> like if it's not really down to a, a close science, then you probably don't want to bring it to a, a convention. That's true. You should be very confident in your ability to teach that version of the game before you take it to a convention, for sure. Yeah. Like, well, I was thinking this game should be about like ice cream cones, but we're but maybe volcanoes. (laughs) Like, I'm not quite sure. Like, (laughs) well, that leads into the next question we had: was how rough can a prototype be at a convention? So Craig kind of answered that a little bit. Like, you you definitely need to have this down pat at least in a way you can present. Yeah. Even and if I'd... you know you're going to be making changes, like present it as though it's a complete project. Yeah, and I don't think it has to be very high quality like uh prototype pieces. Like I feel like you probably could even still get away with just having bits of paper and stuff as long as like we said before you're confident in teaching it. As long as the rules are pretty solid. 
yeah, I think it's fine true. if if the prototype itself is very low quality. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say it's easier to get players if it looks a little Oh, nicer. yeah. It's definitely <laughs> oh, yeah, easier sure. to pull people in, for sure. But there's a certain interest in taking part in developing a game, especially from a new designer. And I think there are a lot of, like, benevolent souls out there in the gaming community who are ready to sit down and try something new. I do think that that um, can breed some difficulties, though, because there are a lot of amateur designers. I mean, aren't we all kind of amateur designers, except for, you know, Ryan, yeah, no. of course. Yeah, I know. Ryan's and, an expert, man. And <laughs> no we way. just, we are different playtesters, right? And you're going to run into a lot of those at conventions where they don't necessarily give you feedback on how they enjoyed the game because they're too busy giving you feedback on how they'd design the game. So that was one of the things Ryan and I were were saying we should ask is, you know, what do you do with all the feedback you get? And what is the type of feedback you normally get? And how do you sort through it so you aren't completely overwhelmed? There's you pretty a, much... Go a, ahead, Brenna. There's a piece of advice that I have heard before in regards to taking constructive criticism for writing that I think applies for constructive criticism for anything, which is that generally people are correct that there's something wrong but they're not always correct about what specific thing is wrong. So if a so if a playtester is like, well, I didn't like this, here's a possible fix to it, then you should listen to what they didn't like, but not necessarily their fix. Like you can take it into consideration, but they might actually be fixing the wrong thing because it might be something else that was actually the root of the problem, but whatever's whatever is like causing a problem is causing a problem. And the feedback can help you pinpoint what the problem is, even if it's not necessarily going to give you the f correct fix for it. Amen. Or That's they're right. just bad. They don't want to play the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know. It's perspective. <laughs> well, that's the thing I was going to say about game. Like we mentioned before that people were going to be like insecure about the feedback they got. But I don't know. A lot of game designer types were just like, Dude, you're just dumb because you don't get how cool this game is. Like, this game is awesome. And if you didn't like it, and you're not, you then just you just don't get it. Don't get it. <laughs> I think you kind of have to have a, at least a bit of that ego on some level to make it as a creator. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Like, because here's the, the tough thing is, like, you're never going to please everyone. Nope. And it's, like, important to learn that pretty early. It's going to, you know, save you some pain if you just accept that early on. For sure. And just make what you want to make. The the most important person to please with anything you make is yourself. Like you should believe in your project and be passionate about your project and love your project before anyone else will, you know. You shouldn't change it to something you don't like to make other people happy. Yeah. Unless it's like a million dollars, then you probably should. Well, if they directly <laughs> if they directly offer to give you a million dollars to make a specific change, sure go for it. But if you're making changes because you think it's going to earn you money down the line because what you're changing is going to make it more popular or whatever, that's not always necessarily going to work out, you know. All I'm if you're just you trying just to predict the market. <laughs> I'm with Craig a little bit. I hate to play the devil's advocate. I totally agree with what Brenna's saying. So I think you have to say, okay, Am I being true creatively, but am I also being honest with myself about my inexperience or my inability or my need to develop and learn? So if someone tells you something that changes your vision, sure, you know, stay true to how you feel about the game. But if someone tells you something and it hurts your pride because you just think that you're very first prototype is perfect the exact way you designed it in the very first way. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, if Ryan had stuck oh. with his first prototype of anything he'd designed, I don't know that any Come of on. them would be published. They were all, they are always the first prototype. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I, w I will say like, it's really hard as a creator to distance yourself from like your creation, like to not equate your self-worth with your creation. Um, and that can, that can cause pain. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, and I definitely agree. Like I was saying, I I wasn't trying to say that you should disregard everyone's critiques and just do whatever you want. Like, 
Like I said it's before, usually if people are picking up on something wrong, that means there's something wrong, you know, yeah. like oh, you yeah. should look at it for yeah. sure. I mean, that, that so that leads me actually into a little side thought here. Um, these days, it, it seems like people either think something is like the best thing they've ever seen in their whole life or like they hate it so bad they like never want to look at it like, <laughs> yeah that, i mean well, is well, that true that's like the culture now okay we're gonna have a little like revelatory moment here for anyone who doesn't know <laughs> us very well so sometimes when ryan puts a prototype on the table i mean i'm obviously the first play tester of anything if it's late enough at night and it makes me cranky for some reason, like something's off in the prototype and it's not ready yet. <laughs> you know, I have been known to say things like, I would rather stick a fork in my eye than play this game again. <laughs> I'm like, you so, what? <laughs> you hated it that bad? Again, feeding that into Brenna's, you know, advice, like hear that something is wrong. But Ryan's right. Like people, oh, there's hyperbole of oh yes. in this industry. So like just because they say they hate it doesn't mean that if you change a couple of things and then put it back on the table that they're not going to just love it the next time you know like people are very extreme yeah but that doesn't mean that there are extreme problems with your game so try to go try to be thoughtful about the way you react rather than reactive mm -hmm. for sure yeah yeah so the last thing i'll say on this subject is that if you want to be involved in the gaming industry, conventions, I would say, are a must. So you pretty much, that's where you'll meet people and make connections and learn things. I feel like my best game development happens in the short time I'm at the convention. Like, just, the, I don't know what it is. It's like the energy at the convention and the people and, the, and talking to so many different people, it, it, it definitely helps. So, yeah. Does anybody else have any comments? No, I think I think that's good advice. I think just like in any industry, networking is important. And, you know, networking means not just trying to meet your heroes, not trying to just like meet and get in good with the people who uh, are already established in the community or like the famous people, the celebrities, but also means making friends with your peers, like building a community of other people who are also aspiring game developers. And then sort of as all of you progress in the industry, you can lift each other up, you know? So networking isn't yeah. just about meeting people. Like it's not just about meeting Craig Knight. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, sorry. That's, that's, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, definitely. Okay, we're going to move on to section two. What games have we been playing? Oh, so many games. Me too. It was hard to actually um, whittle down the two I wanted to talk about. But uh, yeah. Craig is Craig. total silence. Well, Craig, what have you been playing? There's a game <laughs> that just recently came out. Might have heard of it. It's called Nino Kuni 2. Oh, it's yeah. been owning my life right now and i freaking love it it's so good like i enjoyed the first nino kuni but the second one is just it's just even more jrpg even better and just it's so good like the voice acting the music it's the presentation of the game is just so well done like level five is just killing it as like a game developer yeah it looks beautiful it's definitely on my list um now let me let's see um I've been hearing from people that it's a little on the easy side. Is that true? Yeah, it, compared to like Nino Kuni One, it it's definitely a lot easier. Uh, but honestly, it's it's more fun. Like even though it is easier, I'm having more fun because yeah. with Nino Kuni One, it, it was just so stressful. The battles took really long, and yeah, there was strategy that you had to use to like get past certain certain enemies. Whereas like Nino Kuni, it's more like an action JRPG where you can just hack and slash your way through monsters and bosses. But it's it's definitely a lot more fun uh okay. gameplay wise. So it it's it's a hard it's hard because I totally understand what people are saying when they talk about the first game and how it was it was generally more difficult and that made it more enjoyable experience. But the second one 
it's more enjoyable because you just the way you flow from combat to, to like not combat is so much faster than than the first game so how does that work does, like in the first game you would run around and a monster would like chase you and then you would go into a little battle uh-huh. with it and you'd like send out your your monster to go fight it is it how does it work in this one so does it works fir- similarly so it does and it doesn't so if you're in the overworld map and you hit a monster you go into like a, a combat phase which is similar to the first Nino Kuni but yeah. if you're like in a dungeon or like in a scenario where you have to like go to the, from point A to point B like the battles actually happen in, in that area so it's just like you're this like the transition is just there on the on the level and you can leave there's a circular border kind of like quest 64 do you remember that game how like if you wanted to leave you oh, had to yeah. go to the very edge of the barrier and then if you left <laughs> like 64 oh my gosh dude it, it literally is just like quest 64 <laughs> <laughs> that's funny or yeah oh, okay yeah it's yeah. yeah it's good though yeah i liked quest 64 oh me too dude i was just thinking about that game it's it's really bad game design wise but yeah, so many memories i have some good memories of it though oh yeah I totally forgot about that game. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember, like, I think it was with you where we, like, slept over and we played that game, like, all night long. And we ended up, like, <laughs> falling asleep on the couch. Ugh. Yeah, probably. Cool. Well, I totally want to play Nino Kuni. So, Nino Kuni 2. Oh, yeah. It's good. Honestly, so the fact that it's easier than the first one makes it appeal to me more. Oh, but... that's true. You, you kind of... You say that like it's not. You don't want it to be super. I don't hard. want stuff to be super hard. Like I don't want. <laughs> well, and like a, I don't want a to game be like mad that is about at a the game. story. Yeah, I don't want to be mad at a game I'm playing. I want to have fun with it. You know, I don't want mm-hmm. to get frustrated. Yeah. But it's that's it's just, just a different game. Like you you can't say like they are. It's like any Fall Fantasy where like the gameplay is just gonna be different. It like none of them are ever gonna be the same. Yeah, it's just yeah. a different game. I'm always a hard sell on JRPGs too, but you know. I'm an easy sell. I mean, they just announced Dragon <laughs> Quest Eleven's coming out in September, so I'm already getting ready for that one. Nice, nice. But yeah, I I actually have been playing more. I've played more tabletop games recently than I have in a while because I actually did play a lot of games at uh, SaltCon that we went to, and probably. Oh, right. Probably my favorite that I played was one that I've actually been wanting to play for a while, which was called Sagrada. Woo! Oh, yeah, Mallory played that. I was that. so glad that you had that on your radar because that was a really impressive game. It was so much fun. It was ex- it was totally my sort of thing because it's very kind of puzzly and you're having to follow all of these rules and figure out things to fit these rules and I- I'd love that sort of thing. But specifically what it is is that you're building a stained glass window a stained glass window with this pool of dice. So they're different colored dice and you have sort of this array in front of you that has some of the spots on it have specific numbers or specific colors. So you're trying to get a die that matches the number or the color into that spot. And then there are also some other rules about like you can't have dice that are the same color next to each other. You can't have dice that are the same number next to each other those sorts of things. And then also you have some sort of like public objectives and a secret objective that will give you points based on how you built your window. So with all of those things, you've got sort of like a public drafting of the dice. You roll all the dice in the middle of the table and go around taking turns picking the dice and putting them in your window to like try to get the most points at the end of the game once you've constructed your window. And for any spots where you can't get a dice that fits in in a way that doesn't break the rules that's negative points at the end of the game and Hmm. i didn't even i can't even remember how well i did i just had a lot of fun with it like that's the sort of thing that i would play as a solo game not even to try to win or anything just to have fun you know trying to place the place the dice so did they have solo rules for that one i don't know i didn't get a chance to look at the rule book that closely Uh. Also, it's apparently between print runs right now, so it's really expensive. But oh, I'm kind of... of which, when I was at a certain warehouse at a certain place, we like <laughs> ran into the boxes of Socrata that had just Ooh. come in, and I was like, if I accidentally damage one of those, do I get to take it home? Sure. <laughs> 
So I think, yeah, I think it's it's soon to be back in stock. Yeah, I'm gonna have to keep an eye out then because I might wanna I might wanna buy one. For sure. That's cool. I didn't get to play it, but it looked interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like dice drafting. Drafting is fun. Dice are fun. Like weird puzzles where you have to fit things into a place according to specific rules are fun. <laughs> Did it have just a ton of dice in it? Because I imagine yeah. everyone's like holding on to all the yeah. Oh okay. yeah, lots of lots of little dice. Yeah, fun. Yeah. Oh, so I've been playing. Okay, I I mean I know about werewolf, right? I mean yeah. people know we know about werewolf, but I didn't really know the scope of the werewolf phenomenon yes right <laughs> so it's crazy but um bezier games has these little werewolf games that are just like little card games and i still i mean i haven't played like any of their big like werewolf legacy or any of the werewolf series there but um but where words i played that one and it's basically 20 questions but with the roles of werewolf okay. right oh. that's fun so that's cool. the it's really quick you know and i the thing that i like about it is that um okay so if you're the one that knows the word you can't talk you only have tokens that say yes or no or maybe and you get one that says so close and one that says way off. So like all those usual like grunts and what? it's kind of close. Like when you're trying to answer 20 questions, yeah, you can't do that. You just have to hand tokens to people when they ask you a question. So, huh. I mean, it was fun. It was a fun, quick game. I was impressed with how much fun we had with it. And it had a little app that did like the everyone close your eyes, oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> So that was fun. But my favorite was the other one called Werebeast. Was it Eric Summerer? I'll bet it was on the app. Oh. I don't know. It, you know, it was really loud again. Like there were tons of other games going on around me. So I, we like I'll had to, to like stick our ears right next to the iPad and we still couldn't hear it. But okay, Werebeasts. Uh, it's a little... <laughs> oh, so this is like another one in the same line? Okay, so it was really late and I was tired and I probably won't explain the mechanics very well, but let me just tell you that like Where Beasts is a game where you're trying to collect pet were animals or were things and like <laughs> you've got like werewolves, right? And were kittens and were sharks and were zombies and there's a were nado. Oh, <laughs> and a warehouse. Wow. And my favorite Where is the Werebago. It's like a Winnebago. <laughs> it's a were like it's hilarious. That's awesome. So you've got like oh, it's just super fun. So you share um you share objectives with the people next to you, right? So everyone has a left hand objective and a right hand objective, and the person next to you shares that objective with you, and then an objective with someone else on their other hand side, right? So all around the circle, everyone is trying to collect a certain type of pet and you're trying to guess who's collecting what and you can call them out and say, you're collecting this pet or you're not, you know, you, you try to eliminate them that way. But it ends up being really intense, really intense. And it's just so hilarious, the things you come up with with all these little animals. So I actually think it's like, just releasing oh like i looked on board game geek and there aren't any ratings and it says 2018 so nice oh wow check it out though where beasts i am a fan cool sounds fun okay i want to talk about a game that we played at uh salt con here in uh utah and this was uh keepers by richard Brees. And it's in the key series, so he has a few other games in there. And actually, I've never played any of the other games in the series. But this one was uh, a very heavy worker placement game. Heavy. <laughs> it actually, so on the box, I think it said 90 minutes. Oh, my gosh. I could be wrong, but we played... Uh, was it two and a half hours? I think we hit three. I mean, we played... It, it was basically <laughs> doubled the time or more. And uh, yeah, it was like a three-hour game. So what's what's... The, the interesting thing about the game is so everybody has a bunch of workers at the start of the game. It's not like you start with three. You start with like 10 
And um, I, I can't quite remember how many there were. But um, now when you're placing these uh, workers, there are a whole bunch of worker spaces and they, they let you pick up resources or take actions, build buildings. And uh, now if you place a certain color on like a matching color on the on the uh on the working space then you can do it twice but then if you do that everyone can follow you if they want to place the same colored worker so what that means is like every time a person takes a turn everyone else has to decide if they're going to take a turn or not and i like when we played it was like i want to say 60 or 70 percent of the time people chose not to which made the game go super super slow <laughs> so it's interesting because we have that follow mechanic in uh empires of the void 2 and we did it to make the game faster but i actually think in keeper it makes the game slower but uh it was a very interesting and intricate game um there are some dead ends though I'm yeah. not gonna lie. Did you lie. feel like you like, hit a dead end? So there. Well, I, I didn't. kind of. I well, I, I got the lowest score actually. <laughs> I got the lowest score. I felt like <laughs> I I did feel like I sort of made some bad choices. Yeah. So the you it's, didn't it's mention the, shipping. the boards, Ryan. Oh, you oh, the didn't boards are so cool. The boards. So the boards. The boards are like these. They're like these. Uh, it's hard to describe them. They're these square origami things. So like you can. Mm. Um. There are these action boards, and you can sort of flip them like, oh, this is hard to describe. You know those wooden block chains that uh, that are connected by ribbons? And, mm-hmm. like, if you hold them and then you, like, turn the top one, like, the other one's flipped down, like, in the opposite way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So these no. boards are, these like, boards... made out of four okay. <laughs> So you can flip them one way, and then certain action spaces show yeah but then you can flip 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 and now completely different action spaces are showing so every round you actually get to take your board and flip it and manipulate it so that different action spaces are showing based on what you want to be able to do yeah it's like it's like the board game version of that scene in uh dr strange uh we're like they're oh, in the, yeah. the mirror dimension or whatever oh, yeah, 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 that'd yeah, yeah. be a cool thing <laughs> ryan, to put in a dr ryan. strange game were you talking? What, what? To, were you talking about a Jacob's ladder? Oh yes. Is oh, that okay. what it's called? I oh, know what yeah, you were yeah, talking about then. That's what's called. <laughs> yeah, it's a. J- it's like it, you know how that works. It, yeah, it worked, yeah, yeah. The, the the component worked. I've never seen anything like it. It Was really interesting. Yeah, that's a really so. interesting concept for components. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool game. It was a little long though, I will say. <laughs> well, and yeah. the dead end happens. Okay, so the other mechanic is that there are these four boards. And you place your little keeples on the boards when you take actions, and then people follow you. But each board accumulates keeples, oh, yeah. and you only get the next round the keeples that are on your board. Mm. And you claim the board during the rounds. So if you claim a board too early, nobody takes any of the actions on your board because, of course, they're all they available don't elsewhere. Give you their workers so, one of the players ended up with like three workers, three workers. And everybody else had like 13 it, it was, was ridiculous wow. but i will say he beat my score so yeah, it I didn't mean, seem like it was that bad but it made him feel so frustrated yeah. for the entire game and then at the end he was like oh i got a decent score that's really weird because i like hated every moment of this game <laughs> so like yeah. it was a little bit for yeah. him like yeah it's but a little tricky. anyway that's keepers Keeper, actually. I'm sorry. Keeper. So Interesting. Anybody anybody else? Um, yeah. Uh so another game I've been playing, this one's a computer game. Uh it's called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. And it's Oh, did you mention this? I think I did. Time? I think I did. It's really interesting. Uh playing it actually kind of feels a bit like the story elements of near and far, but like just the story parts and turned into a computer game okay so basically how it works is uh you kind of lose your soul in a poker game with this weird wolf guy voiced by sting uh what (laughs) really (laughs) yeah he's voiced by sting it's very interesting but uh but then this wolf guy like basically makes you wander around the continental United States collecting people's stories. Okay. So you wander around this like story map and your your character is like this skeleton with like 
the stick behind his back with the with the handkerchief with the stuff carried in it and stuff. Oh, the art's really cool. And the art is really cool, and the soundtrack is gorgeous. It's like beautiful, like American folk music. But uh, but so as oh, you yeah. wander around, you can go to different towns and you can pick up stories. So you can learn stories like things that happen to people, and then you can go around and there are a few sort of like major characters. That instead of just hearing the story, you basically sit down with them around a campfire and swap stories back and forth. So you tell them certain stories, and those stories that you tell them relate to specific emotions that they feel. So depending on what type of story you tell them, they'll tell you different things about themselves. And also, like, if you get the stories that are the correct emotion that they want to hear, it will, like, make them open up to you more. So meeting these big characters multiple times throughout the game you can climb through sort of the levels of their story to see sort of their big story but also the little stories that you tell them when you go to other places you can hear other people telling them again but they've changed so these little stories that you tell you can watch them like grow in the telling and get wilder and weirder like you run into a guy who's like um planting some apple trees and he's talking about how maybe he's going to move over to the next town and start an orchard somewhere else because he's sad and then like eventually through telling that story and hearing it back it transforms into johnny appleseed you know and that's what it becomes and that's what people hear and those like those embellished versions of the story you can then tell to people and they're even more effective than the original versions of the story so it's like kind of a really interesting commentary on the nature of storytelling and like truth versus embellishment and also a lot of like social commentary on America because like a lot of the stories that you tell and hear and a lot of the characters are kind of they kind of are scattered throughout both place and time so like somebody you run into is like a veteran from World War One. uh someone else is like a uh, a labor organizer in during the Great Depression. Like there's a there's there's a lot of its kind of Depression era focused, but also it jumps back and forth a bit in interesting ways. So yeah, I, I haven't beaten it yet because it is actually very long. Like there's a lot of content in it, but it's a very fascinating project. Wow, it sounds like that was a massive challenge to design. Oh yeah, I mean, oh hugely. That would be so complicated. Oh, but the the reason why I was saying it reminded me a bit of Near and Far is usually when those those smaller stories that you can pick up, it'll like give you an intro, and then you have a couple different options to do, and that will change the story that you eventually pick up that you can retell to people. Like depending on your own actions in the story, like the story will have a different emotion attached to oh. it to affect people in different ways. So that was interesting. So those those encounters specifically are kind of near and far like that it's the short introduction, a short choice, a short response to that choice, and then that gives you something different to use in other places in the game, you know. Okay. Wow, that sounds like cool. one of those games that it's I wish that I had designed. Holy that, cow. Oh, what that a is cool exactly undertaking. That is exactly how I felt about it too. I was like, gosh darn it, this is the sort of thing I'd love to make. <laughs> is the is but, the uh, Sting Wolf always watching you? Um if you if you get killed <laughs> while you're out on uh, out and about, because sometimes like, you know, different stuff that you do might lead you to getting hurt if you die you end up transporting back to the sting wolf and he's like hey what's up let's chat <laughs> and then you go back to the map <laughs> you like come back and he's like Roxanne yeah pretty much <laughs> with the red light and everything oh yeah uh, Dude, oh, he yeah. looks cool though look at this wolf man it was oh. an interesting art. it was an interesting choice to me because it's very much a like a game about america like fundamentally it's about america and am i wrong is sting british um i thought he was i'm pretty sure he is let me hold on let's uh let's let's google this thing i i'm suddenly uncertain is this thing called the internet is sting brit it's like it's like the uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy no he is he's british oh yeah he is he is okay yeah so it I thought that was a strange choice to have a British guy yeah. voice one of the main characters in a thing that's about in like America. An 
Well, it's because yeah. he's handsome. <laughs> and he is famous. I mean, if you can How get... How many of us are British immigrants, right? That's I true. Mean... There's yeah. a lot of immigrants. <laughs> also, if you can get Sting for your game, you're going to use Sting in your game. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? like, who cares? That's <laughs> true. That's true. Okay. Yep. okay, I'm going to quickly talk about Into the Breach. Oh, this is made that by one the, looks uh, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is made by the people that made um, FTL which is one of my absolute favorite games. I've played it to death, and uh, Into the Breach is also a really great game. It's totally different, though. So in this game, uh, it's sort of a Jaeger versus... Uh, kaiju. Kaiju game. Um, and, and it's very pixely, and it's kind of like... A, it's on a grid, so it's like chess-like. And you have your three uh, robots, giant robots, and you have to try to move the monsters so they don't, they don't destroy buildings. And you can kill them, but often the better choice is to not kill them because if you just if you just try to kill them, then they will destroy buildings. So you have to try to move them, or you have to try to get in their way. And it's really cool. I really like the music, and um, it's got a sort of a long term campaign. A campaign takes about like three hours, and you sort of upgrade your robots during that time and try to get to the end. And and uh, it's way cool. Now the cool one other thing I really liked about it is if you if you die or in the middle of the campaign if you want to like start over, it's like um I think the theme of it is you are going to these different time um these different uh like time streams. And so every time you fail, you like you just go back in time, you go to a different time stream to try to save that one. And then you'll fail again, you can go back to another time stream. And every and you can choose one of your pilots to take with you back to the if you start over again. So you've got this pilot you're like upgrading through all these different campaigns. Um, I really like it. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, from what I've seen of it, I think I would really enjoy it. I'm definitely planning on getting it at some point. I've just been so busy with other games because, yeah, there's there's where the water tastes like wine that I've been playing. I also picked up Dragon Age Inquisition again because oh, I'm an boy. idiot and I always get sucked <laughs> into that. And I, I recently picked up um, Burnout, Burnout Paradise Remastered. They just released it. I love Burnout Paradise. I was very excited. So I've been playing that, too. Nice. But Burnout is the only fun racing game ever made. I have not played it. Oh, it's so much fun. It's Oh, come on. Mario Kart's good. Yeah, Mario, Mario, Kart's good. O- Mario Kart's okay. I'll give you that. Mario Kart's pretty come fun. On. But uh, come on. Burnout, there's a big focus on like crashing. Like there's a there's a whole like type of event uh called a road rage where the goal is just to run the other people off the road and like force them to crash. And like you, you have a goal of a certain number of people to get to crash, and then you win the game. But also, you're crashing yourself all the time, and it's it's very high speed. It's very like just wild and getting into accidents left and right just for fun. And uh, plus, it has DJ Atomica, who is also in the game SSX Three, who's just an entertaining <laughs> DJ personality. Do you ever oh, feel like cool. when you're playing that game, it just gets a little tiring, almost like you? burn out <laughs> <laughs> let's get let's get a drum set in <laughs> nice yeah okay so if any if uh does anybody have any other games they want to talk about because if not we will move on oh, to i have to say oh, one okay, more go ahead i played this one called cat lady oh my oh gosh, my gosh. <laughs> sounds amazing <laughs> we're on board Craig. already Oh, you, I'm you, on you board. guys, Brett, oh my gosh. Okay, I will just say. <laughs> cat map. Cat map. Let's make the Kickstarter campaign. Of cute cats. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite cat character was Chairman Meow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just, I love I'm just going to say meow. that. Cat lady, self-explanatory. <laughs> super, <laughs> super great. All right. That's funny. Okay, what was your, before we before we sign off, what was your best recent music experience? Hey, so I've, I can go first because I'm the one who made Ryan include this category because I wanted to brag about how I got to go to South by Southwest. <laughs> yeah, Brenna, this is your fault. Because, <laughs> uh, well, Near and Far was nominated for Tabletop Game of the Year at the show, which was really awesome. Yeah. And it was really cool getting to go to that award ceremony. Uh but also, just while I was there anyway, they gave us a free 
like platinum badge, which gets you into all of the music shows too. And I was only there for three days, but uh, well, like four days, but only three days that I could go to concerts on. And each of those three days, there was like one of my favorite musicians playing. So I feel like I was a very good person to have go to South by Southwest because I'm the biggest like music hipster nerd. So like all of the stuff there was very well tailored for me. But uh, <laughs> oh good, see that see that badge was for you. It was that, for me, right? I was yeah. so mad because Brenna kept like tweeting it on Twitter, yeah. and every time I was like, oh, I gotta go to such cool shows. <laughs> no, but uh, the the first night I was there, I saw Low, which is one of my favorite bands ever. I've seen them, I've seen them in concert four times now, and they were very good. They even they played some songs I hadn't heard before, so they might be releasing a new album soon which has me excited at least that's what i hope that means you got a preview yeah yeah and then i saw ted leo uh of ted leo and the pharmacist his show was very good as well (laughs) and i love that name it's a good name and it's a good band i think he just does stuff just under his own name now i'm not sure if he still does the pharmacists he hasn't uh, done anything with the pharmacist for a long time yeah it's been a long time so he's just ted leo now he did do a uh a split a, album. He did a collaborative album yeah. with Amy Mann under the title of The Both is what they went by. But um, yeah, he was the just both. there by himself. Uh, and then I saw Lisa LeBlanc, who's actually someone I just started listening to very recently, but I love her music. It's very, it's very sort of alt country, very sort of rock country, not like pop country, but more like on the rock side of it. And interestingly, though, she's she's French Canadian, but with very American country sounding music. But <laughs> her her show was just so high energy and so exciting and so much fun. Is she I the loved... banjo lady? Yes, she's the banjo oh, yeah. lady. She was she was head banging while doing a while doing a banjo solo. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm always on <laughs> board for that. Fun. Oh, it was very good. I love it. I want to. <laughs> yeah. I want to see uh, uh, Steve Martin do that. When he plays <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm definitely I'm very into indie rock, which is what Ted Leo is. I'm very into alt country, which is what Lisa LeBlanc is, and I'm very into this genre called slowcore, which is what low is. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's the evidence. Craig's weeping on the other end <laughs> oh, of the line. I like I know there. all those people, and like I know all the oh, bands yeah. that are going there. Just like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, there were tons more people There's who so were many, at the yeah. festival that I would have loved to see that I didn't get a chance to. Like, yeah, since I was only there for a few days, but yeah, the, what I did get to see, oh, I just loved. It was such a good time. Suck it, so Craig. Note no. To us. <laughs> Brenna and Craig battle to the death for next year's South by Southwest attendance. Yeah. I will Brenna fight will tooth and nail me. for that. I'm not very strong. I'm not I very put all strong. my points in charisma. I'm not very strong, but I'm very tough. I'm a good tank. I can take a beating. And she'll wear her orc costume. How about that? So I will. The orc costume. Oh, do you have like a crossbow? It was a good... Oh, yeah, I do have... I, was that, that a real crossbow, crossbow? It was a real crossbow. It actually worked, although I don't think it was very deadly, but it did break. So oh, it's too I bad. can't use it as a weapon anymore. <laughs> you can throw it at him, I guess. I could throw it at him. It's heavy wood, so. Just don't hit my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think I would win this fight. I'm sorry. Craig, just bring your just bring your kitty for a shield, and oh, she'll yeah. never be able to touch you. She's That's killed true. things, so you know it, it, it it'd work in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like Shape of Water. Can I digress? Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, we watched Shape of Water, and it's like, have you seen that, Brenda? Yeah, yeah. No, I saw it in theaters right when it came out. Okay, spoiler alert! Like he eats a he cat. He eats a cat. Oh, that part yeah. was rough. <laughs> That, that part, part was rough. Was so I'm like, I'm like, like I'll forgive you, fish man, because you don't know any better. But man, you have to eat that cat. I was like Stranger <laughs> Things season two. Oh, 
Oh yeah, I think uh, I I like Del Toro has a thing about eating cats because like in Hellboy two, <laughs> oh You're yeah, right. there's a monster that right. eats cats. It's a nasty lady that eats cats. <gasps> totally forgot about. <laughs> Maybe that. Maybe he likes to eat but, cats. But no, I don't know. but Del Toro but must, she's must also a cat lady. Yeah, Del Toro must also love cats because you know Hellboy had all those cats. Hellboy was That's basically true. a crazy cat lady. To himself. eat them. Yeah, he didn't eat them. No, em. Hellboy was the cat lady, and then the cat lady was like the the body of the monster. Like when you looked at her with normal eyes, oh and yeah, and fairy yeah. goggles. She was a cat lady, and then you yeah, and then she's, and then like she's eating the cats. cats, and then Hellboy saves the cat from mm-hmm. the cat okay. eating. So yeah, That's I think true. Del Toro must be a cat. Fan, yeah, yeah. he's conflicted. Ultimately, feelings. well, he just <laughs> likes weird horror stuff, so that would that, that was would the most horrifying to... thing he could think of. There were some, oh yeah, there yeah. were some disturbing <laughs> images in that film. Holy cow! Like okay. the, like the. This is another spoiler, but the stuff with the guys like basically rotten fingers that he had like oh, reattached ew. to his hand, but <laughs> so very gross. And he's like smelling it. He like yeah. smells his finger, and uh, it's rotting away. Yeah, that was a good movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I liked it's, that movie. It was ex- a lot. it was explicit. I, oh I, yeah, it was very it was like, very rated R for sure. It yeah. earned its rating. But I do feel like, and again, like. This is only my opinion, and I am not presenting this as like a, this should be approved by all audiences. But for me, (laughs) at first I was like, whoa, this is a totally explicit movie. But then I was like, you know, I like how he presented things like, okay, not the gore and like terrible violence, but like the other things in the movie he presented in a way that like normally we would be like, oh, how shocking. But really, it was just saying, hey, this is human. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. all of these things are human. It's like having children and eating <laughs> and growing food and like all of these things that just are the human experience. But certain things that we do or certain things that we are have these heavy meanings painted over them. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I just really, I really I feel- liked it. There are certain movies where like, it gets really full of stuff. I don't know if I can handle, but when it's presented that well, I yeah. just, I have to appreciate Absolutely. it. I just really love it. I feel like I'm in film class. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, like <laughs> I said, I died. You know, we're now a film podcast. <laughs> but uh, no, I was just going to say, I, I feel like, you know, the stuff in that movie wasn't just for shock value. Like it's there to serve a purpose and to, to, uh, tell a story and to convey meaning and the meaning that it conveys is i think really important there's a lot of heart in that movie and a lot of uh interesting and i think important critique of sort of americana and the sort of classic normal american dream and who that excludes like the fact that the three main characters were like a like a a mute woman, a black woman, and a gay man. And those were like the good guys is like, that's an important thing. Yeah. And that's a, and then the bad guy is the classic wife and two kids, white picket fence, like American dream guy is the villain. I have two kids. That was interesting. Really good. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, Red Raven Games listeners, art is everywhere, and hopefully in our games too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did get distracted by that movie. Anyway, that was my fault. What other What other music experiences have you guys had that are good? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll say mine really quick. Uh, I ran into a new piece of music I had not heard before by Rachmaninoff. Oh. It's called The Isle of the Dead. Oh. And it was super awesome. I really like it. It's a little, it's definitely on the subtle side and kind of the darker side, but um, I like Rachmaninoff's music a lot. So it was really interesting. It was cool because he, he saw this picture, he saw this painting of The Isle of the Dead. It's a classic painting about the, you know, in uh, Greek mythology. And uh, it's got like, if I can remember right, it's got like the boat with like the, um, the, what do you call it? The, um, the ferryman. Yeah. The ferryman, you know, that collects the coins. Yeah. So you can go to the underworld. Anyway, he saw this painting and he saw a black and white copy of it that somebody had done or a black and white version. And he's like, wow, that looks so cool. And so he wrote this piece uh, around that. 
And then when he saw the color paint, the actual, now the black and white painting looks really cool. And then later he said, when he saw the color painting that, that the black and white painting was based on, he was like, oh, that looks super lame. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I, I, I'm sure he didn't say that, but he, uh, it sounds like what he would like say. That was, like, that was super lame. <laughs> so no, but he liked the black and white version, but I like the piece. It's really cool. So there you go. At the glupa. Yeah. So I have one word for my music experience. Cake. Ooh. You like your cake, cake and eat baby. it too. Man, every time I revisit cake, I'm like, I love these guys. Their <laughs> lyrics are amazing. Their music I think is their awesome. Really I love the fact that they barely sing. Like, I just love everything <laughs> about cake. Love yeah. it. And every time you listen, it's like, oh, that new detail to the story they're telling in this super weird, super interesting, like completely atypical story of a song. Like, yeah, it's about the short skirt and the long jacket girl or like the race car drivers that like stay at the racetrack for hours and hours and hours just trying to break their own records, even though there are no fans like just random stories. I love it. And they're yeah, weird subjects. So, yeah, I like yeah. the weird subjects. I like some of the more obscure songs, actually. You um, would, Mr. Rachmaninoff. Oh, I, I like the I obscure like cake. <laughs> I don't like all that mainstream crap. <laughs> yeah. So from, I liked it before it was cool. So my musical experience, I'm going to make sure Jeanette's not here, okay, she's not here. Um, so, Whoa. So my wife, bless her heart, and bless her of anybody if you fall in this, 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 like, this genre she's a musical nut she loves musicals i hate them i can't stand them like (laughs) there's only a few musicals that i can actually like be okay with but so that one movie the greatest showman came out and i hear all the time i just want to like pull my eyes out it's just it's just the worst it's (laughs) it's fine but that's me being hyperbial right now it's (laughs) i haven't i haven't seen i haven't seen it yet i i watched part of it and it, it's it's fine. It's a good movie. It's okay. But okay. N- Noah freaking loves it. And every oh, day yeah. he's like, what? Alexa, play Greatest Showman. And he's like, <laughs> he sings along with it. So my musical experience right now is just my kids singing with the with the musical. And like it's just like, oh, it's cool that he's singing. And yeah, yeah but it's like the worst. And, and, he, and like this is the thing that bugged the crap out of me. So like we went to his soccer game. And I was like talking and my son LD has a Beastie Boys shirt and he's wearing it. And I was like, oh, who's the Beastie Boys? And I'm like, what? And so I turn on the Beastie Boys and I'm like, is this the best? He's like, I don't really like this dad. And I wanted to like drop kick him. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't do that. You know, sometimes your kids just have different musical tastes than you. And no. you just Mm-mm. have to come to terms with that. I know my sister Rose had has so much fun making my dad angry with music stuff because my dad's an even bigger music hipster than i am and like my so so my sister rose bought a t-shirt that's the really famous joy division cover oh but it says one direction on it Uh, and it was the funniest thing ever when my dad saw that shirt (laughs) and his face lit up and then a second later just turned into like just pure rage. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> and, I was just listening you know, to One Direction. Rose isn't even super into One Direction. She just thought it was very funny, and she was right. It was very funny. But uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah, I try to get my kids into some music, and alas, they're, they're just wrong. They're just bad. I don't. It's I, interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because I have so I come from a family with. Uh, seven kids so I have six siblings and pretty much every single one of those siblings has their own sort of unique taste in music and I just I just find that really interesting that everyone can like different stuff and I kind of have crossover taste with all of them because I like a little bit of everything but I think out of my siblings I probably am the one with the closest taste to my dad so like my dad posted a posted a uh like a new album, like a link to it on Twitter the other day and was like, oh, check out this cool new slowcore album. And Rose was just like, you know, he just posts those things on Twitter for you. Like, you're the only one who's going to listen to him. <laughs> I'm like, you're not That's wrong. <laughs> but All right, folks. I think that about 
wraps up our time. Yeah. So thank you for joining us this time. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Red Raven Games or at Red Raven Games. No S. Excuse me. No S. You can uh, visit our website, redravengames.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Brenna underscore Aspland. That's A-S-P-L-U-N-D. Follow me on Twitter at AgroXCraig, and also look forward to the uh, the near and far campaign expansion pack for the Cat Map, uh, <laughs> which includes the Cat Pack and the Cat Map Fanny Pack as well. <laughs> the Fanny <laughs> Pack, <laughs> like that w- that should be like an accessory in the inventory where you like actually have like a Fanny Pack. Oh, that's a new that's a new artifact card. Oh, yeah, that's actually, new- <laughs> that sounds really funny. Yeah, we should do that as a joke expansion. Yeah, I know, Tom right? Tom hates anachronisms, so don't send it to him. Remember, uh, I was saying that. Uh, no fanny packs in near and far. They have to oh. be fanny parcels or fanny. <laughs> Come on, the fanny pack is ageless. It goes back, I think, ancient Egypt. As long they as it doesn't have packs. a zipper, Jesus like had a it fanny has pack. to tie with leather. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> leather sandals and fanny packs. <laughs> All right, folks. See you later. Bye. Bye. Nevermore. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>